Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Mike Gill reminding you to head over to PlaySugarHouse.com to play real money casino games from the comfort of your home at PlaySugarHouse.com. You'll find table games you can play online like blackjack, roulette, and more right on your phone for real money. You can also make your bet with live dealers. Visit PlaySugarHouse.com this week and have fun. Must be 21 or older. Playable in New Jersey only. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Uh, Broads, did you see Jalen Hurts was named the uh, Big 12 Athlete of the Year? I did see that. I'm interested to see. Uh, I know uh, ASITB over at uh, InsideTheBirds.com uh, there was some debate and some conversation about how he'll be used in the offense. I know uh, there's been a lot of talk about that. We're going to get into some of that and more as Andrew DeCecco joins us live here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline for another edition of Football at Four, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. You can read Andrew's work at 973ESPN.com. Had a good article over the weekend uh, about linebackers uh, that we talked about last week, but I want to kind of get off the... Um, the defensive side of the ball that we've been talking about for the uh, last couple of days and travel back over to offense, Andrew. Uh, how much do you anticipate Jalen Hurts actually seeing the field in 2020? And I asked this question with the thought process of the potential of minicamp, you know, coming a couple of weeks or uh, even a month or so down the road. Well, I certainly assume that the thought process behind taking Jalen Hurts in the second round is that they anticipate getting him on the field fairly quickly. And now there's going to be a little bit more certainty with many camps and he'll have a little bit more time to get acclimated to the playbook and up to speed. I think you'll probably see him get into, maybe not in the first few weeks, but kind of see like, uh, kind of like how Michael Vick got into the offense in 2009. I think you'll see him in some of the, in some red zone packages and, and then on some running plays and, you know, and, and some prize and trick, some trick plays where he rolls out and throws the football. But you certainly don't take somebody that high without a plan, and I, and I do think that he'll be a part of the offense in 2020. You know, that's an interesting part there. And one of the numbers about him that really stand out to me is how good he was in the red zone area. I mean, he was one of the most productive players, if not the most productive player in the entire country uh, when it comes to scoring in the red zone. And you wonder if that just adds another layer to the Eagles offense uh, because Carson Wentz, his numbers in the red zone, third and fourth downs, he's one of the best in the league in that area as well. So you add Hurts, do you think he is best used as a red zone threat? I do, um, but if the offense is rolling, if Carson Wentz brings him down there, I always question, you know, taking your, you know, your signal caller off the field to replace him with, you know, another another quarterback. If, you know, if Carson Wentz takes you down there and then he's in a rhythm you know, a quarterback, a quarterback plays all about rhythm and timing. And I think that when, you know, you get a quarterback that can take you down the field like Carson Wentz has proven he can do, um, it's kind of hard to take him off the field and replace him with, a, you know, a, maybe a possibly a more athletic quarterback that can that can do a little bit more more things and spread teams out. Um, I think we'll be a part of the offense, though, moving forward. Like I said, they have to – I'm assuming they have a plan for him with, you know, investing that kind of draft capital in him. I know um, if you were to suggest, like, hey, I want to see him on the field for X amount of uh, percentage of the plays, is there something to kind of validate taking a guy in the second round that if he's out there, I don't know, however, you know, Taysom Hill, for example, and I hate to keep comparing him to him, but he had 27 rushes last year, and he caught the ball – um, let's see, how many passes did he catch? He caught 19 passes last year. 
So he had 19 receptions and 27 runs. You know, is that enough for you to validate uh, a Hurts pick? Yeah, but let's not forget that Tim Hill had a few seasons in the Saints system. So Jalen Hurts might not have that kind of production in his first season. Um, but when you look at when you look at uh, Jalen's skill set, I think that it, and, and what he can potentially bring to the offense and add a new layer to it, like you alluded to, I think that maybe you know three to four plays a game could possibly be you know within you know reasonably uh, to expect in 2020. One thing I look at with Jalen Hurts and and the three quarterbacks dressing is you know how does this impact another player who will not be able to dress now because you're going to have someone like Jalen Hurts who might squeak in there for a play or two. I mean, this can totally change what if somebody else goes down and now you don't have somebody who's available because you have to dress Jalen Hurts. Well, Hunter, that's interesting. And now the the active the, the game day active roster is now expanded from 46 to 48 this season. So I think that when you look at the quarterback situation, particularly on the Eagles, and you have Carson, Nate Sudfeld, who's going to be the number two, but you also have this talented, uh, this talented offensive threat in Jalen Hurts that you invested draft capital. And I think that you're going to have to activate all three, possibly that first spot. Like you said, you know, it could come down to probably the trenches, I would think, you know, you're going to have to probably want to activate a, another offensive lineman in, in, in the event that something happens and you need somebody to step in. Andrew DeCecco, football at four, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. And Hertz is an interesting weapon, and I'm very intrigued uh, as we've battled Hunter back and forth about, uh, you know, what kind of role will he have and whether or not that was worth the second-round pick. But a guy who wasn't drafted at all, Boston Scott. And uh, there's a lot of people wondering, you know, they just assume he's going to make the team and he's going to have a role. How do you see Boston Scott fitting into this offense? Because he's a guy that I feel like this offseason, we've talked about Miles Sanders. We've talked about you know adding a veteran running back. Uh, what's Hurts going to do? But what about the role Boston Scott could have to add to this offense? Well, I think Boston Scott adds an interesting dimension to the uh, Eagles offense, right? So you really saw him come on late last season down the stretch. It was an integral role to what the Eagles to, to that playoff push. And with Miles Sanders, I think he can, Scott can kind of compliment him in that he's, he's proven that he can be, you know, adequate receiver out of the backfield, but he also can, you know, grind out those tough yards. And he's very elusive in the open field, and, and he's great after the catch. So while I don't think that he'll be a number two running back, I think he's best slotted as a number three given his skill set. I think that he'll add and, – and now you're getting him for a full season. Let's not forget last season he was on the practice squad until, he, until you know, injuries forced him onto the active roster. But I, I think now that you get a full season or a full off season and, and another season with him, you'll see him as you know a key a key offensive player, and then also possibly on special teams as a kick returner. This question was actually from Ask ITB on InsideTheBirds.com, and Adam Kaplan put his two cents in. But I'm curious on yours. Do you think that Miles mm-hmm. Sanders can get 1,700 yards from scrimmage this upcoming year? Yeah, uh, I, I, this is something that I've kind of, you know, been back and forth with over the past few weeks, and I can absolutely see that happening, Hunter. And I, you, you can probably – I think he's probably slotted for about 18 to 20 touches a game, um, you know, with that with a few of those being receptions out of the backfield. And he, he can be a three-down running back, but, you know, I feel like the Eagles, to, to kind of best preserve Miles Sanders for late in the season, I think that, you know, he'll probably – I think that, that 16 to 18 touches per game is probably, the, probably right, in the, right in the range that they're looking for. But I, he, he's always been – I mean, he's, last season he was. Uh, he's been somebody that maximizes his touches. 
and really proved to be an explosive player when his number was called. So I, I think that when he, when you look at what Miles Sanders can bring to the offense, I think, you know, 1700s probably, I, I had him at 1650. So that, that's right there. Yeah. I know uh, Sanders has been kind of the MVP chat guy. He's been talking, he's been very uh, colorful about it, but uh, you know, I, I really, um, I'm, I'm interested to see how that backfield is worked out because, you know, in Doug's tenure, he has kind of had this, you know, committee, and is that mainly because of necessity uh, that he hasn't had that guy? And can Miles Sanders finally be the guy to where we see him out there, you know, 75, 80% of the time? Can he handle that kind of role? I think Eagles fans are going to see what Doug Peterson can do with a feature running back. I think that he did running back by committee, uh, Mike, in the past, because that's really the only that his he was kind of, you know, coaching with one hand behind, tied behind his back. You know, sometimes injuries dictated that, personnel dictated that. So I think now that when he actually has, you know, a young ascending feature, you know, running back, I think that you'll see him utilize him to, you know, and, and help take the, you know, add another dimension to the offense and take it to the next level. And like I said, 16, 18 touches a game, you know, you could see him with 1300 yards on the ground and, and about 350 to 400 through the air. Now, you know, I know Adam had suggested at uh, Inside the Birds during the podcast that he saw about 15 to 18 touches for Miles Sanders. And when I saw that and I read that, I'm thinking to myself, all right, he gets 15 to 8 touches. You got Deshaun Jackson. You got Zach Ertz. You got Dallas Goddard. You got J.J. hopefully taking a step forward. You know, it seems that it's going to be tough to keep everybody happy or keep everybody involved in that offense. Yeah, and that's another reason why, you know, as I'm going through all the different players that they have and – it's it, they have an embarrassment of riches at the at the offensive uh, skill set positions and which that, sounds bizarre, right? Which sounds bizarre <laughs> the way they ended last problem. year, right? So that's a good problem to have, Mike. Obviously, you want as many weapons as you can to to really maximize. You know, you, you have this quarterback and he's twenty seven years old. You want he's entering his prime. You want to make the most out of that. Um, but that's why I was thinking that Jalen Hurts his his impact is going to be fairly limited in my opinion because of all the other guys that you have to get the, the football to um you know you, you have Dallas Goddard who had 58 receptions last year ninth most out of all NFL tight ends and that was playing behind Zach Ertz who had 88 receptions so you saw what he can do he led the Eagles in um he led the Eagles in yardage in the playoff game against Seattle um so you know it, it's a good it's definitely a good problem to have I think Miles Sanders will definitely find a way to get his touches um, then you'll have some Boston Scott sprinkled in, and then you know we kind of talked about getting that downhill thumper into the mix, and he'll be in the he'll be you know certainly in the fold for for the tough yard situations and goal line situations. That's great that you just brought that up because the conversation about Freeman, Carlos Hyde, even Shady was definitely big over the last few weeks. And is it crazy for me to think that they don't really need that veteran running back? You can find running backs all over. I mean, Philip Lindsay, uh, hell, a couple of years ago, we were screaming for Josh Adams to get the rock and Corey Clement was undrafted. And I know that if Miles Sanders goes down, you, you need someone to rely on, but is that really Shady McCoy who was banged up at this part of his career? I just feel like they have those undrafted guys that they could rely on and they don't actually need that veteran running back. Well, I couldn't agree with you more there. You know, let's say Miles Sanders does miss some time, misses a series, misses, you know, a half of a game or a game or whatever. Is Shady McCoy really that much better than, you know, Mike Warren and, um, Elijah Holyfield and Boston Scott, you know, albeit, you know, a couple of those guys are unproven, but 
what does Shady McCoy really add at this stage of his career? We're talking about a guy who was inactive for the Super Bowl. I know he would like to he would like to come back here and end his career in Philadelphia, but from the Eagles' standpoint, I think that when you look at you know you, you always want to bet on upside, and a lot of these guys that they have there, they you know Elijah Holyfield and Mike Warren, they they entered the draft a year early, so they didn't really even have like you know if they stay that for their senior seasons, they're draftable players. So the Eagles have a lot of upside at that position. Now it's kind of just okay, can we get these guys up to speed? Where are they at, at, you know, let's say the August point, and if they don't feel confident in those guys at that point, well, then maybe you, you reach out to LaShawn McCoy, who's probably still going to be out there. There's got, or an Isaiah Crowell, who's 27 years old. Some of these guys will probably still be out there. Yeah, Andrew DiCecco, uh football at four, here powered by InsideTheBirds.com on the Sports Bash. You know, yeah, Andrew, I, I, I keep, you know, I thought if you could have got, and you, I guess you still could get Freeman, he's available, or a high, those guys add something. I don't know that there's somebody else – you know, like McCoy, at that point, I think you're just bringing a guy in uh, to bring mm-hmm. a guy in. And I don't know, as we just mentioned, heck, I didn't. I just went down the list of guys, how are you going to get the ball? I didn't even mention Greg Ward, who was one of your leading recept- uh, guy- receivers last year. Uh, you know, what kind of role does he have in the offense? How many touches does a guy like that even get? Um, and, and again, he was a guy who was one of your top pass catchers over the last five games last year. Yeah, you know, Greg Ward, he was... He was the top, like you said, he was the top receiving option. He's a guy I've always been really high on. Uh, I just always thought that he just needed an opportunity to get on the field and, and the rest would take care of itself. But um, now he's going to be pushed down the depth chart or it's going to be certainly limited because of all the guys, that have, all the weapons that, they have, that they've added around him. But I think that, that kind of plays more to what Ward uh, can – I think he'll be even more effective with the left snaps because you can use him. Let's forget he was a very, very effective quarterback at the University of Houston – he also has that dimension where he could, you know, on some trick plays. We haven't really seen him get to throw the football. He has an arm on him, and he's extremely athletic. Um, and then, you know, he, he's, a, he's, he's proven to be a very reliable, tough, sure-handed slot receiver, which is needed. And the Eagles haven't had a ton of guys in, you know, in the past couple of seasons that have been reliable in catching the football. But you have one there in Greg Ward, a known commodity now. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that he'll, he'll see a significant decrease in his snap counts, but he's another guy that people forget about because of his injury and because of where he is when the season's going to start. Alshon Jeffrey's production really hasn't been talked about when it comes to this town, and obviously because of what happened last year. But how much do you think that Alshon actually has in the tank when he does return? Well, I think uh, getting that, that's a good question, Um, because a lot of it, if you really look at the receivers as they currently stand, there's not a ton of size there. There, I believe J.J. Orsega-Whiteside, you know, is uh, is of the healthy receivers. He's the tallest at 6'2". Alshon gives them that that jump ball that, you know, he's going to be very effective in those contested catches situations and you really need a player like that to the receiving core because now you got a, a ton of fast guys. You got an unknown, a wild card, and JJ, who I, I think is going to be in for you know uh, a sophomore, you know a sophomore rebound. But you know that's again, you're, you're gambling on that. You're assuming that that he's going to take those necessary steps in these idle months to to progress to progress in his career. But you know, Alshon's their 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 tall receiver right now. You know. You, you really don't have another other guy in the pipeline. So um, you're really backing on him to return from that injury and be the player that he was, you know, in 2017. He's not going to – he obviously isn't going to be a burner. He'll never, he never will be. But when you want a, a trusty option that can go up and get the football 
you know, between the hashes and, and in the red zone. I, he, he's the he's the only guy right now on the depth chart that's proven he can do that consistently. Now, let me ask you this. Um, we know about, obviously, Jeffrey's injury and that he's probably going to be on the pup list. And then we mentioned Ward. We got J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and Deshaun Jackson. Um, is there another receiver that we're not hearing about that you're interested in come training camp? Yeah, well, Marquise Goodwin's a guy that I've always liked. You know, when he's been healthy, he's been extremely effective. He's got pro, he's got electric, electrifying speed. He just hasn't been healthy lately, and that's always been, you know, that's always been the problem in the past couple of seasons with Eagles receivers. Like they they they've struggled, you know, with production. They've also struggled with 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 injury. So I think that uh, Marquise Goodwin's you, you pretty much got him for they got him for effectively nothing. Um, but when but when he's been on the field for the 49ers and, and even, you know, earlier in his career with the Buffalo Bills, he's been a guy that, that you know, defenses have to account for. You know, he can take the top off the defense. So it, it'll be interesting to see how he transitions to, you know, into the Eagles offense of limited snaps and, and kind of getting ahead on that playbook. But he's, he's far from a lock. So he's going to be in, in competition with John Hightower, Quez Watkins, Greg Ward, um, for 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 those final spots, and um, another guy who I'm really intrigued by is John Hightower, who I've mentioned on the show before. I got a chance to see him at the, the East West Shrine Bowl. He he's about six one, so he's another he's another uh, plus six foot guy, and he's not he doesn't have the 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 aggressive mindset or the physicality of an Alshon Jeffrey, but he does have that vertical element to his game. He ran a four four three, I believe, at the NFL Combine. And he really impressed me at the at the Shrine Bowl and, and, you know, winning those contested catch situations, which I hadn't seen on film, getting open consistently, tracking the football well down the field. Um, I understand that he's going to he's going to be behind the eight ball, as, as will most of the rookies. But he'll have his opportunity. He just needs to, you know, maximize his opportunities because he'll be in a probably in a three man race for a roster spot. Which is interesting. Uh, when we just talked about all these guys, I didn't mention any of the rookies. I almost completely blanked my mind that, you know, you still have Jalen Rieger, uh, who we haven't fit into a role into this offense. As you just mentioned, guys like Watkins and Hightower and Marquise Goodwin, who are all battling. So I I'm very intrigued if they get a mini camp and training camp here, which is looking more and more likely that there will be a training camp. In fact, I think today the news uh, that came out was more likely uh, that teams will remain at their facilities for training camp, that you're going to see teams uh, get out here and practice uh, at their facilities here uh, for camp. And uh, how Doug and these other offensive minds that they've brought in here, remember, Andrew, uh, for the fans out there, they have brought in a lot of new offensive minds that they're adding here, and how are they going to utilize all these new guys. I mean, you know, we're not just bringing, you're not just bringing back to Sean Jackson and having a healthy Jackson. You're also adding all these other guys that we barely even scratched the surface about talking about. Exactly. And that's why I tend, I've been cautioning folks to kind of be patient because, you know, you, you have added all these weapons, but it's not just going to be, you know, you a plug and play, you throw these guys in the offense and, and they put up numbers, right? You, you're, you're adding, you know, Rich Scangarello, who's coming over from, who has that Kyle Shanahan background from the San Francisco offense. You know, you got, you're bringing in um, from Mississippi state, Andrew Briner, who's thrived in that RPO system there. And, um, and you know, you got Marty Morningweg in there. So there's, there's all these different minds and you're going to see a lot of different ideas and concepts and in, especially in protections, play actions, running game and screens. So this, you know, the fact that the Eagles can get mini camps, there, there's not many teams that would benefit more given their situation 
than the Eagles. So you're, you're definitely going to see some new wrinkles there. And, and they also have to get a lot of these players integrated in the offense. I hate to think about injuries, but obviously, as we know, it's such a big part of the game. If they only keep two tight ends in Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, what do you think they would do if someone goes down? I mean, it would change their philosophy big time with all the 12 personnel sets that they do. I mean, I know they have a lot of wide receivers, so I guess is the answer they would just run way less 12 personnel sets? Yeah, I mean, I guess you can go an extra thing. They would probably go an extra tackle there, but you know, week to week, if they had an injury, you know, throughout the practice week, you could probably use utilize that, you know, you, the rosters are expanding from 53 to 55. So you, I would imagine they're going to stash with one of their 12 practice squad spots. They're probably going to stash a tight end, whether that be, you know, Josh Perkins, Alex Ellis, or, or, or another guy who, who doesn't make the 53 man roster around the league who they like, you could always elevate them throughout the week and then plug them in on game day. So They'll have that option, but, you know, should something happen in the middle of the game, you're going to see a lot less 12 personnel, obviously, and, you know, you might see an extra tackle, be it uh, Matt Pryor or, or Jordan Mailata, possibly. I like, uh, you know, it's funny because we're into June now, and a lot of times you're starting to think about these mini camps would have already been going on, and it's kind of interesting that we might get them. We might get these mini camps and get the chance to see a lot of these guys because I think on the offensive side, which we kind of focused in on today during football at four, the Eagles have a lot of questions. And my question for you, um, Andrew, will be, do you anticipate that there's a player who doesn't make this team that you're going to be like, man, that guy could have helped them? Probably, I mean, if off the top of my head, Mike, I would say Marquise Goodwin. Um, he's a guy who, who I mentioned, he has, you know, his track speed. And he's going to be deprived of that offseason. And given the given how many weapons that the Eagles have, obviously, you know, as, as we've outlined, there's reps in practice are going to be extremely limited. So you're not going to have all these different opportunities to impress like you, like you, like receivers trying to make the Eagles would have in recent years with, you know, there hasn't been a whole bunch of, you know, top end talent. So um, he's certainly going to have to impress, but he's also, you know, he's also 30 years old and, you have you, you just invested you, know, you took two late round flyers on John Hightower and Quez Watkins who both offer upside to different degrees. So yeah, he, he would be a guy that, you know, I think would benefit from, from more reps and could be a guy on the outside looking in that you might be like, wow, you know, he, imagine him with Deshaun and, and Jalen Rager to, you know, as, as those vertical threats. All right. Uh, football at four powered by inside the birds.com. Andrew DeCecco. He'll be back on Friday. We'll get into more NFL stuff and hopefully uh, some more information on if minicamp will be happening and when as the NFL uh, has kind of been quiet the last couple of days. Tomorrow, Jeff Mosher is here for football at four. Adam Kaplan on Thursday's show uh, at A. DeCecco NFL on Twitter. And, of course, every Tuesday and Friday here on football at four. Thanks, pal. Yep, you got it. All right, Andrew DeCecco, like all guests, appeared via the boardwalk Honda hotline. Uh, Boston Scott's a guy who really interests me. I'm, I'm interested in that because uh, Adam Kaplan mentioned at SITB, which was he penciled in Miles Sanders for 15 to 18 touches. Then he penciled in a veteran running back, five to eight touches, and Boston Scott, three to five. Are you happy with that breakdown? I wouldn't be mad about it. Are you saying it's not enough for Boston Scott? Well, I mean, you just mentioned you don't need to see a veteran running back. He's given them five to eight touches. That means five to eight touches that maybe are going away from Scott, who's a player that we're kind of all penciling in here. Well, I think if you, you know, why not Hightower slide in there and maybe get six carries from there? 
You mean oh, Holyfield. Uh, Holyfield. 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 Yeah. yeah. Why can't he maybe get the six carries and then from there kind of work around that? He could, but I mean, the way he breaks it down, it says veteran running back. That would not be Holyfield. But I'm just saying, you don't get that veteran quarterback. You have to rely on some running undrafted back. guys. Um, I think if they don't bring a veteran running back in, I would rather see more of those touches. They don't have to be carries go to Boston, Scott, than three to five. I was a little surprised three to five. That's all. No, I, I can totally see where you're coming from. I think he showed enough last year where maybe he is that second guy where that veteran running back carries are for Adam. That's interesting. I wonder how many touches per game. I mean, he was he had 61 carries last year, and he had tw- uh, 24 catches. He played 11 games, but I can't imagine that he really played in all 11 of those games. He might have been active but I don't think he got that opportunity. All right, when we come back, Ask Mike and Broads is on the way. We'll see what we're getting into today from you guys out there. At Broads81 on Twitter, at Mike Gill Show on Twitter. The MGPT Top 5 at 5 in about a half an hour. Turn it on. Leave it on. The Sports Bash on 97. Text message 609-403-0973. That's 609-403-0973. Uh, we'll get into Ask Mike and Bros in just a second. You can use the hashtag Ask Mike and Bros to send us your questions or text them in on the 97.3 ESPN text board, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. You can send us a text throughout the show. You can use it right now for today's Ask Mike and Bros. And we uh, have a bunch of questions. I understand we have some uh, Phillies questions uh, in the uh, Ask Mike and Broads batch today. I'm interested in that. What kind of Phillies questions could we... I, I'm i interested to see, like, what's on people's minds sports-wise. I thought Phillies would not be at the top of that list. Like, Phillies just seem so, um, I don't know, out of, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, maybe it's because with the MLB conversation going on right now, it, it sparked some sort of... Uh... Phillies fuse, if you will. One of them's a little silly. Maybe we should get that one out of the way first. Do you think, and this is from Paul Gorski, by the way, your guy. He's chimed in a couple times now. Paul Gorski. Do you think the Phillies can win a World Series this year? Do I think they can? I might surprise you with this answer. Yeah, I think they can. I mean, but a lot has to go right. I mean, Nola has to be in the Cy Young conversation again. He doesn't have to win the Cy Young, but he's got to be closer to the Nola that we saw in the Cy Young Award race a couple of years ago than the guy we saw last year. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. He would have to be, well, the DeGrom is so hard to beat, and he was so hard to beat that year specifically, too, when he did win I'm not asking him to win the Cy Young Award. I'm just saying... He needs to be closer to the Aaron Nola who was in the Cy Young race than the guy that we got last year. Now, the guy that we got last year, he wasn't awful in 12 and 7. Um, you know, and the win loss doesn't tell you the whole story, but uh, 287 ERA, 127 whip, all decent, but nowhere near the guy that he was the year before. This question was can they win the World Series? He needs to be the guy from 2018. Not the guy from 2019. You need Zach Wheeler to be a number two. He's got to be a legit number two pitcher. You need Jake Arrieta to be healthy and pitch well. You can't just have Jake Arrieta pitch well sometimes. He's got to be a consistent number three. So can they win the World Series? Sure. 
but a lot has to go right. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, yes, they technically can win the World Series. And and I think it's it's very possible that Aaron Nola can be more like the Cy Young Aaron Nola that he was, or he didn't win it, but in the conversation. And and yes, Zach Wheeler could be a fine number two, but I think from there is a little bit of a reach. Can Jake Arrieta be the Jake Arrieta from seven years ago? All right, here's the question. What do you have more confidence in? Arietta rebounding and being serviceable or Zach Wheeler being a legit number two? Zach Wheeler being a legit number two. I, I am I am out on Arietta. I mean, I, I mentioned this before, and, and a lot of people kind of just said, eh, you know, it's not a big deal. But when he walked off that bump in spring training with a arm problem, I mean, it's already starting again. It's already starting again. And Zach Wheeler's numbers in the second half post-All-Star break, it's pretty damn like serious. I mean, he puts together fantastic numbers late. And if he can do that, then sure, that would be awesome. The, the question, though, is what's late in a 50-game season if that's the case, right? I mean, is it 25 games in? Yeah, well, you know, Arietta is interesting because as Scott Lauper told us a couple of months ago, this is back when spring training was happening, he says, if you look at his two years so far with the Phillies, his first four months of 2018 were pretty darn good. Then, of course, completely spiraled out of control for him and kind of uh, colors how we look at his 2018 season in general. Then last year in spring training, he tells us about knee problems that he had and said it affected him down the stretch last year. Then he developed this bone spur and couldn't throw his cutter and couldn't throw his curveball. So he's essentially saying, look, when he has pitched well, he's pitched well. It's just that these other factors have caused him to not pitch well. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a ton of faith in Arietta, but I'm also not 100% saying that he can't rebound and give you, especially in the shortened season, I feel much differently than I do over a 162 game slate. No, it's a good point, really. That is a good point when it comes to Arietta. Now, here's the thing, though. In the postseason, you're, you're going to need some help from the bullpen. So, uh, who the hell is in the bullpen? <laughs> in On this team, I... I yeah, Saranthi Dominguez is out, right? Out, I mean, right? you don't have David Robertson. He's out. You got to rely on Hector Neris, Adam Morgan, Juan Nicasio, right? I mean, this is what you got. Well, you left out some of their, you know, you left out uh, Ranger Suarez, who was one of okay. their better guys last year. Sure. I think Francisco Liriano is going to be a huge bolster to that bullpen. No? I, all right. I, I think I need to see a little bit more, but sure. I need to see, you know, I, the name is like, okay, maybe it can do something, but I, I need to be sold a bit. I mean, if he was on the if he was in their bullpen last year, he would have been the best guy they had. I mean, three forty seven ERA, a lefty. They didn't have one of those guys last year. Well, I Adam mean, Adam Morgan was actually really good last year. Yeah, but he got hurt. Yeah, later, late in the season, he did. Yeah. Um, I'll see before I have any uh, opinion on Tommy Hunter. Apparently, he's back in much better shape, but um, you know, he had injury problems last year. So yeah, they got a ton of question marks uh, in that bullpen. Yeah, absolutely. And what do they do? You got Nola, Wheeler, Arietta, Eflin, and then the loser of the Velasquez, Pavetta, and who else? I guess maybe one of those guys. Well, interesting the enough, the 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 um the long shot here that people are actually optimistic on is is Ranger Suarez actually competing for a starting spot. Yeah, I know during spring training he was definitely a name in that mix. Right, so maybe he's in the starting rotation, and maybe Nick Pavetta or something's in that bullpen. Well, which... the loser of that, you know, is Suarez, Velasquez, Pavetta. The loser of that is in the bullpen. So two right. of those guys. 
It's a shame we can't pick up Drew Smiley this year because he's hanging out with uh, Gabe, isn't he? Yes, he is in San Francisco. Remember, he was uh, awful. He was he was compared to some of the some of the greats here. Well, I, I will say this for him: he at least went out there and competed and gave you innings. He, oh, he, he was, gave you everything he had. I mean, it's not his fault. He went out there and competed. Sure, right. he was able to at least like, hey, even if I'm getting shelled, I can last five. Which most times the pitchers on the Phillies just could not do. They couldn't get through five innings. Oh, I can't. I'm like laughing over here. I can't even keep myself together thinking about, you know, even, even when you were going through the bullpen. Well, we got Tommy Hunter. Well, oh, my Lord, we're talking about Tommy Hunter. Well, and the to be fair, to be fair, okay, most bullpens, if you started to go through them, you wouldn't know much about most of those names. Bullpen guys are typically these guys who they don't have a lot of fanfare. They're not high prospects. They don't have this big you know, hoopla when they come into the league. So there could be a name that we don't know much about that he's the guy. That's the one problem I've always had with this Phillies organization is they so rarely develop power bullpen arms. Guys who throw two pitches and one of them's gas right by you and have like that nasty slider or that one out pitch, you know, that bullpen guys are bullpen guys. Why? Because they typically only throw two pitches. They don't have three, four pitches. That's why a starter, because he gets seen more as a starter, and a bullpen guy is a bullpen guy. They don't have as much, but what they do have, they can go with full force for an inning. The Phillies have done such a lousy job of finding power arms in their bullpen. Yeah, and to to bring up what you said in the beginning of that was, you don't know these bullpen guys. That Most of the time, they're the starters that end up not working out, and then they end up going in the bullpen, and then they kind of rebrand themselves, and from there, and they're year to year, too. I mean, there's times where you see a bullpen guy who's fantastic for one year, he stinks the next, and then he's fantastic the following year. I mean, it's so year to year. But, I mean, Brad Lynch, remember 2008, and then remember years after? I mean, there were times where Brad Lynch was not very good, and then there were times where he was unbelievable, right? So, I mean, it happens all the time. Now, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on Hector Neris? Me and Mosh go back and forth. I don't he think Hector Neris is good at all. I he don't hates, think he's bad at he all either. Ner- he hates Neris. N- hates him, despises him. Well, and I think his reasoning is is not fair. Um, the, the, the closer position in baseball is rocky all over the place. I think he is thinking in the mindset of a world in a baseball league where you have the Mariano Rivero lockdown closer all over baseball like you used to have Trevor Hoffman and Mariano Rivera and Billy Wagner and teams had these lockdown shut out the light guys. I'm not suggesting Neris is great but he is no worse than half the league. It's like the conversation you have with like so many things in sports now. Context is king. Yeah, Neris isn't great, but he is on par with just about 70% of closers in baseball who are all very shaky. And he's a guy, we can kind of just relate it to, to the Drew Smiley thing. Listen, you know, is Drew Smiley great? No. Did he go out there and give it everything he had? Absolutely. Hector Neris isn't like this known, legitimate closer. He's what they have, and when he goes out there to close, he's giving you his best. I mean, this is just what he is, and it's not his fault. Like, he's not a legit known closer. It's just the role that he has to play on this Phillies team. I would like if he was more of a an eighth-inning guy than a ninth, but they have no other alternative. No, but it's again, it goes back to 
Who are you comparing him to? Are you comparing him to Mariano Rivera and the closers of the past? Sure, he doesn't stack up. But when you compare him to closers around baseball right now, he's no worse than most of these guys out there. It's just not a position of strength in Major League Baseball at the current time, right? I mean, it's just something that is... uh, Teams go with these ridiculous like matchups and, and analytics and the way they use their guys anymore. It's it's really I think that's a that is a um, area the closer that has really been affected by it. Definitely, and there was no set closer, and then it ended up being well because David Robertson was here and things got a little weird early. But by the end, once there were so many injuries, it did become Hector Neris. And I, and I mentioned Brad Lidge, and I remember how bad 09 was for him, and I had to look up his ERA. Uh, seven two one. Do you and know the year who, before? Do you know who led the league in saves last year? Um, I'm going to try and come up with a name off the top of my head, but uh, no, nothing's coming to me. Kirby Yates. Oh, okay. He huh. was the leader. He was zero and five. He had forty one saves. He had a one nineteen ERA and an 089 whip, which is tremendous. Uh, Roberto Osuna was next. Josh Hader. That, that that's what uh, Josh Hader is the most popular name I would say out of all of them. Aroldis Chapman, uh, Rasiel Iglesias, Will Smith, John Han, uh, Brad Hand, excuse me, Kenley 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 Jansen, Taylor Rogers, Alex. Uh, oh, Alex Colmay. Man, my glasses are terrible. And Kennedy. Sean Doolittle and Hector Neris. Hector Neris was 13th, so he's in the top half of the league in saves. And not that saves is the number one stat line, but when you look at his ERA and his numbers, you know, again, he had a 1.02 whip. 1.02 is tremendous. Now, I wanted Will Smith. He signed with the Braves, did he not? I think he did. I wanted Will Smith. He was an option. See, that's the type of move that I would have liked to see happen, but maybe they feel that they don't want to go that route anymore because they just did it with David Robertson and things didn't work out and Tommy Hunter's banged up. Maybe they'd like to stay away from these uh, relievers that have a little bit in in the tank, you know, or a little bit of miles on them. Teams don't like to spend money on bullpen guys because they're so hit and miss. Like one year they're good, the next year they're not. Two years later they're good. I mean, they're just so... No, you, that's why teams don't invest money in that position. Yeah, but they're but they're so important too, you know. At the same time, they are important, but they're cheap. Are they? Most. I wonder what the, the league. I wonder what the league averages for playoff teams in the bullpen. Because then there'll be teams like the Pirates that make the numbers look different because maybe they don't spend as much. Well, Kirby like Yates, the good teams. Kirby I wonder what Yates they spend. is on a terrible team. Um. Iglesias is on a terrible team. San Francisco, Will Smith, not very good. Um, the White Sox, they're not very good. Kansas City's not very good. I mean, and they're some of the best closers in the game in terms of saves anyway. Right. Um, That's what it's also coming down to, too, is, you know. But, but still, I mean, they're getting the job done. Yeah, but no, bullpen teams don't spend money on bullpen arms. They just don't. Right. I mean, when you spend a bullpen on money, it's happened so many times where the reliever gets paid big money, he gets hurt, or he doesn't. The Phillies signed Tommy Hunter. He was great for two years. Oh, Hunter, he's been great. Comes to you and he stinks. You know me how it works. But I still think they need to upgrade somehow. Like, if, if, if you can't draft well, which they don't draft well, and you don't draft relief farms like that, but you're, you you draft starting pitchers who might not work out, who you can groom into a bullpen arm. But if you, if you can't really draft well... 
where where no, are you getting you, these when bullpen? you draft these pitchers in the draft? You're not grooming every single one of them to be a starter. No, sure, sure not. Sure. So you're developing them through the minor leagues to be able to you determine whether their stuff is a starter or a reliever, and then you start to develop them there. They just done but a I'm terrible saying, job of doing it. Right. So if that's the case, and you're the Phillies, if you're not going to spend money on them, and you're not going to nobody groom spend, I'm them, not, I'm not knocking them for not spending money on bullpen arms. Nobody does. You don't see relief pitchers making money like you don't see in free agency now sometimes they do and well, many times it's just got some money and will, i want to look up will smith three years 40 million i mean that's a it, lot it, of money but a, that's sure. a closer he's a closer i'm talking about a regular bullpen arm a guy that you're just going to pitch in the seventh inning of a you know three two game when it's you know the seventh inning i'm not talking about closer yeah you're not going to spend money on a dude that you need to come in in the fifth inning to get you to the seventh no and that's why it's so – these are guys you need to develop and find in your minor league system. you know. And if you're paying money on those guys, you're not able to spend money in other places. And so many times, so many teams spend money on that position, and it blows up in their face. So I don't – I'm not uh, – and we've talked about this with Frank a lot. The teams just will not spend money on bullpen arms because they're so unpredictable. It's like I guess it's sort of like the linebacker kick going around right now in the NFL, right? Like teams are not – Ready to go out there and start signing all these linebackers because the the position isn't valued like yeah, that. but the relief pitcher is a valued position. I That's know, what makes yeah, it I know. so weird. But again, when they spend money on that position, more times than not, it's so hard because they pitch so little. So it's like you pitch well in sixty innings, but your next sixty innings could be crappy. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. It's a weird dynamic because they're so important, but at the same time. You can't put too much money in them because it can blow up in your face. And I think we're seeing that with some of the examples with the Phillies. All right, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. We only got into one Phillies question. We got a couple more. All right, we'll try to get them uh, on the other side. Um, Adam Schefter tweeting four minutes ago, the NFL has told all of its team that they must stay at their team facilities for this summer's training camps. In other words, if you used to go to Lehigh, they're saying, don't go to Lehigh, just do it where you practice normally. So uh, that is good news in that it sounds like they think they're going to have training camps. Back with more Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the free mobile app. On 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right, Sports Pass, Mike and Bros, PT coming up at 5 for the MTPT Top 5 at 5. Um, all right, We, by the way, we had a couple texts coming. I want to read this one from Cole because it was kind of hitting on exactly what we were talking about. You guys are really hoping for Wheeler to be the number two, maybe on a non-playoff team. He has a career ERA of 377. He's more like a number three. Cole Mets fan, it says. Oh, well, then there you go. There's your explanation of why he said that. Now, listen, he's not wrong when he says his ERA. I've just seen him be dominant in the second half of season. So if, if we're talking about making a push, if he's that dominant in the second half, well, then who knows where that can kind of go. I think it's more what, you know, as these guys, he's 30 years old now. He's had the Tommy John. He's had the arm problems. I think it's more what you hope his ceiling can bring you, not what you think he will be. Like, his text is making it, you're really hoping for Wheeler to be the number two. Yeah, I mean, I think his stuff could be at that top end of the rotation if he harnesses it you're the, the text is right he's probably more of a number three who has number two stuff 
he has never been able to put it all together to give you number two stuff. So, so far, the text message is right that he is a number three. And what the question was, can the Phillies win the World Series? The answer I gave was, you need Wheeler to really be his best version of himself. He can't be Zach Wheeler. He needs to be the best version of himself. So if the guy listened a little closer to what I said was, that's how they can win the World Series. Can they win the World Series? Yes, but a lot of crazy stuff has to happen. Like Zach Wheeler pitching like a number two. I don't see that happening, though. I don't see that happening either. Now, you mentioned that he's probably really a number three, but right now he's in a number two spot. I feel the same way with Aaron Nola. I mean, but it would be a powerful lineup if you added a, let's just say, hypothetical, they got Cole and Wheeler. I see Aaron Nola in a number two spot. I can relate that to what the Nationals have, you know, with Max Scherzer, with Strasburg, with that type of rotation, with Corbin. I mean, now you have like three pitchers. Aaron Nola as the one, I don't think you're in trouble with him as the one, but imagine him being a number two. I mean, he would be a lethal number two, and that just means your number one is legit. I agree. Nola, to me, is a number two. He's a top-end number two. He's Scotty Pippen of number twos, if you want to go down that comparison. He is the best number two level guy, you know, that you're going to find in the league for the most part. If you can get him to be your number two, unfortunately, on this team, you don't have it. He's not the worst number one in the world. I think he's still a middle of the pack top uh, number one, but you would be a legit World Series contender if you entered camp and he was your clear number two. Yeah, you're not in trouble with Aaron Nola at your number one. No, because if he's your number two, Broads, it means you have Garrett Cole or DeGrom or, you know, one of the top-level starting pitchers in all of baseball. I mean, if if you're telling me that um, Aaron Nola is your number two, it's because you have Verlander, Cole, uh, Greinke, Strasburg, you know, one of those guys. Absolutely. No, I, I agree. And when I watched last year and when I watched that playoff run by the Nationals and, and all of the teams that I watched play, you just appreciate the pitching and you realize how important starting pitching is to winning a great championship. And I think the Phillies are far away from that when it comes to their stat. Far away, it's the most important thing. I think the Phillies offense is probably playoff worthy they could probably make the playoffs with their offense i mean i think they're better offensively now than they were a year ago i mean you had dd you should get mccutcheon back um i definitely think you got kingery for another year now uh he should only be better i think offensively they are worthy of a playoff uh offense i don't think they're very worthy of a playoff pitching staff bullpen by any stretch of the imagination it's the mgpt top five and five Coming up next, stick around, have a little fun.